Welcome to Inside Medical Assisting, the voice of the medical assisting profession, discussing the professional and personal dynamic factors that influence and shape the individual and the profession. Welcome to Inside Medical Assisting, the voice of the medical assisting podcast. My name is Lawrence. There is um, a belief that exists um, in the field, that physicians who experience burnout are more than like more than likely that burnout is caused by, or at least eighty percent of that burnout, or what is influencing that burnout, is caused by the practice environment or the you know your professional environment. Along the spectrum of burnout, I'd say more than anything, it's characterized by you know three different um, dimensions of decreased effectiveness in, in working, and those are depersonalization, emotional exhaustion, and then a low feeling of personal accomplishment. And you know, what we also see is that <clears throat> this can translate into uh, broken relationships, substance abuse, depression, suicide, uh, physician turnover, decreased productivity, and uh, again, decreased patient satisfaction and a decreased quality of care, and, and perhaps a rise in the, the incidence of medical errors as well. You were just listening to Eli Rajtovich and Jason Penater, both of practice optimization consultants at MultiCare Health Systems. I really wasn't aware of the fact that um, the, uh, the dis- disturbing topic, I, I consider it disturbing, uh, regarding physician burnout and actually the uh, stresses facing healthcare providers that escalate to some even going into committing suicide as well. But my, my curiosity is this, why has it become such a, such a topic in our current healthcare culture right now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think traditionally medicine has been one of those fields that um, has been kind of closed off and um, not necessarily accessible unless you're actually a part of it. Um, and over recent years, you know, with the kind of insertion of the um, government playing a role in, um, you know, incentivizing uh, quality metrics and adoption of electronic health records and um, getting involved in providing uh, insurance for patients. Um, You know, in concert with that happening, we had... um, you know, practices being either acquired, um, you know, or merging to become larger organizations. And as that started to happen, the um, ownership that physicians had over what their day-to-day look like, looked like um, started, to, started to change. It started to go away, or at least the dynamics were changing. And so um, there are many more people with their hand in the healthcare pot these days than you know, maybe 20 years ago, 10 years ago even. Um, and so, you know, some of those environmental factors, 
um, has influenced the the rates of burnout that we're seeing and the recognition that this is really a significant problem. And like you said, yes, physicians are committing suicide and um, they're struggling with mental health issues and they're afraid to, you know, access resources because they're worried about their licenses. Um, and so there are a lot of, I don't know, there's a lot of research out there that um, supports the fact that this is a real issue and, you know, what some of the repercussions are and what some of the trickle-down effects can be. Um, but, I mean, burnout has been featured in the New York Times and in, you know, all sorts of the New England Journal of Medicine and um, all these different um, outlets that are well-known and well-respected beyond just for healthcare providers. Um, and so I think that recognition has really brought this discussion um, onto the national scene. Um, yeah. Interesting. Out, out of curiosity, my, my assumption is that you do a lot of work in this particular areas regarding the, the culture uh, healthcare teams and the processes and all of the various uh, aspects that go along with that. One of them being, what are the recognizable, from your point of view, what are the recognizable indications of physician burnout? Well, there are certainly several, and uh, I wanted to add too uh, before we dive into that that you know I, I think sometimes it's um, it's seldom talked about or some of the symptoms may not be immediately recognizable because in addition to the risk that Ellie mentioned with perhaps licensure concerns, I think there's also, you know, a level of, of prestige or, or this sense of, you know, being stoic and not wanting to, you know, show that, that much vulnerability or um, if that makes sense in, in terms of, um, you know, Working in that capacity as a provider and in in showing others that you know you've you you are vulnerable and and it is possible to um, you know <laughs> succumb to some of the symptoms involved with a lot of these pressures on providers from different from different angles whether it's you know with quality whether it's with production whether it's with patient satisfaction um, and so that being said it can manifest differently. Um, you know, for different providers in, in different disciplines. Um, and there really is, you know, I, I think a, a scale of, of or a continuum of burnout, so to speak. It's, I think, difficult to go from zero to one in a matter of days or, uh, or even weeks. It sometimes take months or years. But um, that being said, you know, the, as providers progress in this, um, along the spectrum of burnout, um, you know, I'd say more than anything, it's characterized by, you know, three different um, dimensions of decreased effectiveness in, in working. And those are depersonalization, uh, emotional exhaustion, and then a low feeling of personal accomplishment. Uh, and, you know, what we also see is that <clears throat> this can translate into uh, broken relationships, substance abuse, depression. Uh, suicide, which we talked about earlier, uh, physician turnover, um, decreased productivity, and uh, again, decreased patient satisfaction, 
and a decreased quality of care, and, and perhaps a rise in the, the incidence of medical errors as well. So, and, and when those do happen, you know, we see, uh, you know, regardless of whether or not it's one or or uh, or or five or more of those different symptoms, but uh, you know, there can also be a twofold ri higher risk of, of reporting in medical errors um, and burnout and fatigue. Uh, twofold higher risk of suicidal ideation, and then threefold higher risk of, of overall decreased uh, quality of life. So substantial impact, uh, both personally and professionally. Ellie slightly touched upon some of the reasons uh, or the underlying causes of physician burnout. Can you go into a little bit more detail uh, regarding that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm, I did mention that there has been a lot of research done about um, what can cause uh, physician burnout, and there is um, a belief that exists um, in the field that physicians who experience burnout um, are more than like more than likely that um, burnout is caused by. Um, or at least 80% of that burnout or what is influencing that burnout is caused by the practice environment or the, you know, your professional environment. Um, and that 20% is from other, you know, personal stressors um, that might be happening kind of behind the scenes in somebody's personal life. And so um, much of the research has, that's been done has looked at, you know, the work environment and, what, um, you know, what can potentially lead to burnout. Well, what, there was a study that was done, it was published in uh, 2013, it was done by the American Medical Association and Rand Health, and they explored what makes physicians happy, what makes physicians unhappy. Um, and what they found was that what physicians really cared about was providing high-quality care to their patients. In a nutshell, that's what matters to them. That's what um, inspired them to go into medicine. And, you know, as we know, the course to become a practicing physician is a long and rigorous one. And they stuck with it because they care about taking great care of people and providing exceptional care. Um, so when they feel that their ability to do that is, inhibited, they become less satisfied. That can be influenced by many things. Um, documentation requirements um, and administrative tasks, uh, paperwork, having to sign off on things that, you know, potentially somebody else could be doing, um, that sort of thing can be a big dissatisfier. Um, electronic health records can be a source of dissatisfaction. Um, for, for physicians and other providers. Um, what we've seen in, a, you know, a lot of practices is that, you know, something as simple as just implementing an EHR by putting a computer in an exam room on the um, countertop next to the sink where the physician washes, washes their hands. You know, we've seen that set up countless times 
in physician offices. You just put a computer in and you say, okay, great, now you're, now you're set up to use the EHR. And what people failed to think about was the fact that when the physician's back is turned to the patient, if they're going to be documenting during the visit. So is the expectation then for the physician to have their back turned to the patient during most of the visit? Or is the expectation for them to do most of their documentation at the end of the day after seeing a full day of patients? Um, and so <laughs> that can be a dissatisfier. Um, people who have addressed those sorts of issues have done some really cool things that we'll talk about later. But um, that's just an example of how the EHR has um, kind of inhibited the physician's ability to provide care in the way that they want to in the way that, you know, they anticipated doing when they went into medicine. Um, you know, physicians value being treated with fairness and respect. Interestingly, if they feel that their compensation is fair, they are, they don't really care a huge amount about how much they're getting paid as long as they feel that it's fair. Um, so sources of dissatisfaction would be more tied to the hours that they're working. Um, you know, call schedules can be a dissatisfier, um, that sort of thing. And again, you know, work content um, has become has become a, a, a more of a concern with you know kind of the administrative burden of care and the. Um, electronic record and different incentive programs like meaningful use, meaningful use to, et cetera. Um, you know, those have led a lot of times people to say, you know, people in a compliance office somewhere, they say, oh, well, then the doctor should do this, um, or the doctor can just sign off on this, or the doctor can just click this. And that has suddenly kind of snowballed into um, and it really, in many cases, an unrealistic workload for one person. And so, you know, that can be, a, can be a dissatisfier. And all of these things kind of put together can burn someone out and make someone think, you know, when they are waking up in the morning, like, do I, do I really want to go to work today? Um, which... Is, is a shame for people who went into medicine to take care of people, which should be exciting and, um, you know, should be inspiring and motivating just inherently. Um, but unfortunately, you know, people are just feeling so bogged down these days that, um, you know, the burnout is, is a real problem. Very true. We were at a, we were at a provider meeting last night and, uh, one of the providers in practice for, I'm guessing, approximately 25, 27 years um, shared with us that um, during his residency, it was uh, the MO at the time was in, the, in I think, the paradigm um, as a provider in that sense was if you want it done correctly, you should do it yourself. And if you want it done timely, you should do it yourself. And so that was really ingrained in them as in you know, and embedded in their subconscious is really their, as, as how they should operate and move forward. And some of the um, less seasoned providers that were in practice for, for perhaps, you know, five to 15 years said that that was 
not really the, the thinking or the rationale when they were in medical school and residency, but uh, it seems like for those in practice 25 years or more, that was that was the, the agreed upon thinking and, and, and way of, of running your practice and in your clinic, mm -hmm. uh, which I think also plays into effect. Yeah. And and I, I also think it's worth mentioning here too the um, you know this, this shift that has had to happen um, to normalize the conversation of burnout and people who are experiencing burnout. It's not necessarily an admission of weakness or inability to cope or you know something that would potentially be frowned upon and that people who have gone into medicine feel uncomfortable doing. Um, you know, it's caused by it's caused by the practice environment. Like a lot of times, you know, unfortunately, our our providers are are fall victim to you know this this issue that is happening across the country right now, and um, so that's so that's a big part of our work too is just having the conversation with people about um, you know like Jason mentioned and you know obviously Lawrence ties into um, you know, some of the, the um, areas that we'll chat about a little later, but, um, you know, that idea of if I want it done right, I just have to do it myself doesn't necessarily work anymore. You know, we need strong teams. We need um, people with really strong um, clinical training who can support the work of a physician in an empowered and creative and productive way um, to to start to address the problem. That's a topic I'd like to, um, at some point in time in the future, go into a lot more depth with, but uh, because it's an important aspect to uh, to the landscape of, of healthcare and to changing uh, the technologies, the, the, the structure of uh, physicians and how they're working, why they're working, why, why they're doing what they're doing. They, pretty much their whole idea of uh, independence has been really lost from what you're saying. Uh, it's, it's now a very structured environment where the policies and procedures of the powers that be dictate what they want and how they want it done. Is that pretty much? You know, yes. But also, we found, you know, like, we found that at a local level for a physician in a practice, we've actually seen recently with some new providers who have come on um, that there's been some confusion about what the physician's work should look like versus what the nurse's work should look like versus what the medical assistant's work should look like. Um, and so I think the, the opportunity to innovate locally and, and create um, the, the workflows and the work that should be done in the way that it should be done exists. Um, but oftentimes people are confined, like you said, you know, kind of by this organizational or this top-down um, approach of, well, here's what your staffing ratio looks like. Here's what your productivity targets are. Here's what your patient satisfaction targets are. Here's what your quality metrics are that we're going to be measuring you on. 
Um, and so people feel people feel bound by that. Um, so a lot of what we do is kind of um, informing and empowering people to really take ownership for what their day looks like in the day to day. You know, when it's when it's harder to, you know, kind of make changes on an organizational level, if that makes sense. Jason, do it. Do you have anything to add there? <laughs> no, I absolutely agree. <laughs> focus should be on purpose uh, and the priority of purpose is is number one the patient of course and number two it's the it's the ability of a group of people that have different levels of uh, within the profession itself to collaborate and work together that's how I see it yeah totally agree well said now, one of the things I wanted to discuss, because burnout, as you've already mentioned, is significant, but my, my question is, does burnout really drive a provider to suicide? Yes, it certainly has the potential to. And, you know, as uh, you have, uh, may well have seen, physician suicide rates are certainly higher than the national norm. Uh, recent data that we've seen is it shows it's 1.87 times higher for men, 2.78 times higher for women, uh, with totals approximately at 100 per year. And uh, these can obviously occur anywhere along that uh, you know, route of uh, or journey that they may have, either starting a residency with fellowship. Uh, and even you know once they've transitioned into full-time practice, uh, what we've also seen that those you know early distress signals um, and dis- distress scores um, indicative of burnout can usually occur to a higher degree uh, within that zero to five-year period of, of, of practice, um, as well as on the the tail end. I think 25, 20 to 25 plus years, um, and to a lesser degree in the middle of that curve. Um, but nonetheless, I, yeah, we've we've seen that it can certainly push uh, physicians or providers to to suicide. Ellie, anything you'd like to add there? No, I mean, I think you know, obviously, this is you know, I think it's it's tragic. It's a real, it's a very serious, you know, it's a it's it's just it's very sombering, you know that. You've got these bright, driven, passionate people, and you know they feel like that's the best. Um, you know, like that's their like that's their option, and that I think that's inherently very tragic. And I think if anything, it really inspires us to continue our work and try to try to help people and try to find solutions. Absolutely. Well, that was my next question. What are the imperative measures that are really missing in healthcare to prevent the physician burnout and end the suicide? What's what's missing here? Well, I, we can imagine that, you know, for several organizations, it's uh, the, the lack of measurement is, is probably the most important thing, uh, <clears throat> at least to begin with, is just start measuring, 
you know, levels of distress. Start measuring, you know, levels and severity of burnout amongst different provider cohorts or, or your, your entire provider team system-wide. Um, and if, you know, for teams and organizations that are measuring it, uh, it, it seems like it, it may be in some ways overshadowed um, by, you know, an outcome metric or end-of-pipe metric on physician engagement or provider engagement without necessarily looking at some of those process metrics or early warning signs uh, that may be more indicative of, of, of true stress and, or distress in those cries for help. Um, so that's the, those are some of the best places to start. And, um, you know, quite often, as, as we talked about earlier, you know, we'll often see uh, you know, more of, I think, a, a predominance of, of, of silence um, you know, or lack of voicing concern and uh, or cries for help as opposed to, you know, someone that's really wanting to come forward. And, and occasionally that does happen. Um, but I think the majority would probably, um, you know, follow the path of silence and, um, and not really sharing that and, and becoming as vocal about it. But I think once we start to socialize that and stress the importance of it and and start sharing that, you know, it's, it's okay. You won't have a scarlet letter on your forehead uh, because you, you, you've come forward about how stressed and, and burned out you may be feeling and how it's affecting your quality of life. Uh, so. Yeah. Well, and, you know, from an organizational level, I think it's important, you know, because this is becoming more of a, an, a known issue and topic. Um, it's important for organizations, I think, or practices, um, physician organizations, et cetera, to commit to doing something about it. And there are a lot of resources that exist. There are different surveys that exist, um, you know, different step-by-step processes for addressing burnout in your practice or organization. I mean, a simple Google search will pull up, you know, surveys that you can use and, you know, step-by-step, um, you know, processes for you to follow to start to measure burnout, identify some of your kind of hot areas where you should potentially be focusing attention, and and then you can start your work in addressing it. And I think that is, you know, knowledge is power, and the more we know, the better we can help people. And so that would be our recommendation as a starting point. The way I see it is there's a denial within the organizational structure, and there's no dialogue. There's no frontline discussion to the powers that be about the circumstances uh, that that the culture is experiencing. Uh, there's no recognition mm-hmm. of that. Is yeah. That, yeah. Am I well, I mean, if you... <laughs> No, I think you're touching on something that's very important, and that is, um, yeah, just recognition and acknowledgement that, you know, this isn't bogus, this is a real problem, and it's not just because your physicians are weak or don't want to work, it's because they're more than likely working too much and probably inefficiently, and you're probably, you know, spending money on resources and people who are being underutilized, and um, you know, and, and that, and that from an organizational perspective is problematic. Um, one of the things that 
that um, organizations can do is identify a champion to support this sort of work. And to be honest, it's really helpful to have a physician champion um, who can speak for other physicians, support other physicians, um, kind of lock arms with people who we're trying to help and say, you know, it's okay. It's okay to say that you are burned out or that you are extremely fatigued or that you feel like you're at the end of your rope. Um, and we're here to help you and here's what we can do for you. Um, and, you know, having access to some of those uh, resources, th that really goes a long way, but you're right. I mean, you know, until I, I really think that across, you can do a lot of work locally. I, I think acknowledging that is really important too. Um, but in order to move the pendulum across an organization, you really need organizational support. And there's enough data out there and there are enough resources out there to back up the fact that this is a real problem. And people who think that it isn't for their um, for their physicians and providers, um, they probably just need to be educated because <laughs> it. I mean, it's it, yeah, it's the real deal. I know that. I know that. Matter of fact, I'm, while you're talking, <laughs> I, I'm saying to myself, uh, the way I'm looking at it, I'm I'm actually visualizing this in my own mind's eye. I'm seeing a structure of healthcare, a culture, local or national, whatever you choose. And they have an ideology, a philosophy, and that philosophy is, a, a, the, the philosophy is more, and I'm gonna use the word capitalistic, a capitalistic perspective towards an industry. And the guidelines of that industry is the bottom line. And what's really taking place in, our, in, in the culture itself from my own research that I've done and the people that I've spoken to is that you have a disease and this disease of stress and understandably be working in a medical facility there's a there's a high amount of stress dealing with various aspects of that but when you have individuals as physicians providers that are stressed out that that's going to affect the entire team and it's going to bottom line to it all. It's going to affect the patient's perspective to the treatment that they're receiving as well. And it's proven because look at when you're looking at the American healthcare industry, it's ranked what 37th, 36th in the world. So, so I mean, it, it's it's so obvious. It's pathetic. We're with you. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the financial implications of the ramifications of burnout, which include decreased quality of care, increased medical errors, decreased patient satisfaction, those all impact your bottom line. Physician turnover significantly impacts your bottom line. If you've got physicians who are reducing their FTE or the number of hours that they're seeing patients in a week, um, or deciding that they're not going to take call anymore, or, you know, depending on, I know some organizations are set up so that that's not necessarily an option. Um, but you look at, you look at FTE reductions and you look at turnover and you look at how much that impacts your bottom line. It's insane. 
There's research out there that shows that replacing a physician, depending on the specialty, you know, obviously it's going to vary, but um, anywhere from $250,000 to well over a million dollars is the hit that the organization takes in lost revenue, recruitment, um, flying people in for interviews, getting somebody started up, the startup costs associated with having a new physician come on, it, it can be insanely expensive. And so if people are not addressing the satisfaction of their physicians while they're while they're <laughs> a part of an organization or affiliated with an organization, um, I mean, you're missing out on a on a huge opportunity um, that will absolutely impact your bottom line. Oh, guaranteed. You, you know, by following what we've just been discussing, the transforming that culture would have such a huge impact. It would be unbelievable. It would not be recognizable. But I have a question, and and my audience primarily is our, our medical assistants, and they, we, we have a dash of other professionals that do listen to the podcast, but... How can the medical assistant be a part of the solution to our discussion? That's a great question, and we feel very passionately about this. We think that medical assistants in particular can be a huge um, asset in developing a solution to um, physician burnout and yeah, there are, there are many ways that uh, that they can that they can be a part of it. Uh, there was a study that was done about five years ago, or was published about five years ago, um, that looked at 23 high-performing medical practices across the country, and it was called something along the lines of rediscovering joy in practice, and what and kind of that meaningful medicine that physicians are, are looking for. Um, and they found that in studying these 23 practices that had been kind of, you know, identified anecdotally as, you know, air quotes, high, perform high performers, they, there were a few characteristics that were consistent across most, if not all, of these practices. And those were communication across the team, a team-based approach to providing patient care, and taking the time to prepare for patient visits to make for more efficient time across the team. All three of those elements involve the care team, an integral um, person on that care team, is the medical assistant. And so we think that the medical assistant is essential to um, addressing the problem of provider burnout and bringing satisfaction back to the practice of medicine. Um, teams that use a team-based approach to care um, have better physician satisfaction they also have better patient satisfaction. The team is more satisfied. The medical assistants are. They're practicing at a higher level instead of taking kind of the castaways of what the doctor isn't going to do, um, you know, in kind of a passive way. They're actively involved in patient care. 
and are, you know, they, they know the patients. They have relationships with the patients beyond just doing, you know, um, vitals and, and weight checks on patients when they come into the office. Um, and so we can we can dive into some of the nuts and bolts of that, but you know we're really passionate about optimizing the MA role on the care team so that um, a, a more team oriented approach can be taken, which um, you know makes everybody happier and it improves patient care. So some of the some of the ways that um, that that could that that could happen would involve um, you know obviously having a, a good knowledge of what your scope of practice is within your organization and in your state. Um, obviously, you know um, there are different rules and regs that should be followed, and we are all for that. We also know that with appropriate training and protocols in place and um, good solid communication and game, game planning from the team in terms of, uh, you know, like documenting the physicians are really proactive about that. The medical assistant can take on more. So, um, yeah, so those, those are some, um, some good options. Um, MAs can, in many places, um, queue up medication refills they can proactively manage uh, the provider's in-basket. So uh, messages that are coming in from a patient portal, um, you know, calling patients with normal results. Um, you know, a lot of work can be done without necessarily the direction of the doctor as long as they're aware a process exists. Um, the MA can be really hands-on in, in providing that patient care. We talked about preparing for patient visits, um, making sure that if a patient is coming in for a procedure or for a specific type of visit, that the room is set up a certain way um, so that the physician isn't fishing for things in the exam room or that they're not popping out and saying, oh, you know, Mrs. So-and-so is having this done. I need X. You know, the medical assistant has already anticipated that and is already all over it. That's great. That saves time and saves headaches throughout the day. And then, you know, simple stuff like having a standard set up in your supply rooms and in different exam rooms, not only in a, in a practice, but at other satellite locations that the, um, that the um, providers and team are going to. That makes a big difference. And then also either placing or queuing up orders for uh, health maintenance that a patient needs. If a patient comes in and they're going to need a mammogram and a colonoscopy or they need to have a bone density scan done or, you know, the patient is due for a certain immunization, the medical assistant can take the bull by the horns and get that set up for the patient. Um, that doesn't have to necessarily be a, 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 a physician-level uh, conversation um, as long as you've got the right policies, procedures, protocols, et cetera, in place. And they can really be functioning at a high level. And that that makes everybody's day run more smoothly and more seamlessly. Mm -hmm. yeah, very true. Well, when they can function at that high level, they can help eliminate uh, one of the eight types of waste, that being knowledge waste. And we see that 
Um, you know, as we mentioned earlier, establishing clarity with each role and allowing each person to really work to the top of their scope of practice uh, can can really create a, a more unified team, a more productive team, uh, better outcomes for patients, better engagement for staff. Uh, all of those, you know, all of those metrics that we we monitor start to shine. Um, and then the other place that the DMA can really uh, be leveraged in a, in a very beneficial way for everybody um, can often be in a scribing capacity, um, you know, and, and really increasing and empowering them to uh, better understand uh, different procedures and 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 like say utilizing them in a scribing capacity um, can help them feel more like part of the team um, and help drive. Higher, higher levels of efficiency with clinical encounters and um, and can also, I think, give a feeling of uh, comfort and confidence uh, from the patient's perspective that uh, the, the MA is certainly an integral part of that team and has a, a good understanding of the, of the patient's condition and the patient's goals and interests as, as well as the provider. Um, and they can learn to be savvy with, uh, you know, different documentation requirements and and protocols as well. When, you, when you're looking at the education of a medical assistant, uh, it's a pretty much compressed, actually, for what they have to learn. In most cases, uh, if they're in a community college, it's a two-year program with, uh, <coughs> excuse me, emphasis on other areas of their education besides the particular profession that, that they are uh, pursuing. But also, you're looking at it from a from a for-profit school that has uh, a nine-month diploma program, and what they have to learn and what they have to go through in order to pass the examination, it doesn't really give them the insight into what we're really discussing here. Do you think there should be an advanced program number one for medical assistants that goes beyond the uh, the general idea of the hard skills, that's number one. And number two, uh, bringing up the point of the actual work environment, should there be some sort of a program that's involving what you just described as being essential ingredients into a high-level medical assistant? Yes, so I can take that first question, uh, which is about basically, you know, kind of becoming an, it's really becoming an advanced MA, right? It's taking your education or your, your education program, your curriculum, and then saying, okay, so here's how this translates to life in a practice. And here's, you know, it's kind of a, the practical application of all of that academia that they've um, ingested over the course of their program. Um, and yes, we actually have seen, at least in one case, an organization called Bell & Health up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. They have partnered with um, the organization that, um, that trains most of their MA grads, and they have instituted, they've partnered together and they've instituted a team-based care focused curriculum for their medical assistants so that they are more prepared 
to jump into the practice setting and thrive with the model that Bellin has adopted, which is a team-based approach to care. So that's one example of a partnership that has evolved because of the organizational need and the fact that most of their medical assistants were coming from the same local program. So that possibility exists, and, you know, obviously we would encourage other organizations to seek out similar arrangements. You know, it makes it makes your it prepares your medical assistants better to jump into the practice setting, lowers their learning curve upon entry into their role, and uh, and yeah, I mean, what we're describing is really, um, you know, it's it's functioning it's functioning at a higher level than I think um, people are necessarily prepared for, like on day one um, upon graduation. Um, that being said. I, we we have done some work um, with our medical assistants in a couple of practices, and um, we have a pretty, um, you know, like well-developed medical assistant kind of competency um, training, uh, continuing ed program, and and we really strongly believe that these elements can be incorporated into existing continuing education infrastructure. Um, that exist in many organizations for medical assistance. Um, another thing that we've seen at other organizations um, is a basically kind of, you know, taking meetings or uh, different kind of team-oriented forums and turning them into training opportunities based on what the vision is for um, MA development and kind of MA role uh, augmentation, if that's the right way of saying it. Um, but basically getting MAs trained up to function, you know, from like, you know, kind of a, a more, um, I don't know, like kind of at a more basic level to a, a really high-functioning level and um, closing some of those gaps that might exist for people um, through regular training and um, and the development, again, of the policies, procedures, protocols that are needed to empower them to function at that higher level. Um, so there are many different ways to accomplish it. Um, I think I actually touched on both of the points of your question, right, which was the you know, kind of the external part and then the internal part. Yes, yes, you have, you definitely have. And, and that's a, that's something I'd like to follow up with you and, and do a little bit more, uh, have a, a more in-depth discussion about that. You mentioned Fallon. Fallon is spelled F-A-L-L-O-N, is that correct? It's Bellin, B-E-L-L-I-N. Bell and Health, and actually, Lawrence, they are doing a training on in April, at the end of April, um, on team-based care, and it's basically like a conference setup, um, but organizations can attend, individuals can attend, um, we're going to try to get a representative there. Um, but it, it's 
they're doing some really cool stuff there and they've done a great job of not only implementing, you know, this team-based approach to care. Um, locally, they started with family medicine and they have spread across their medical group. And like I said, they've got this partnership with their local MA uh, training program and they're just doing some really cool stuff. Really, really. I, I, I've kept you over what I expected to uh... My, my guidelines was 30 to 40 minutes. We're approaching, <laughs> we're approaching an hour. I apologize for that, but the subject matter and what you were discussing was incredibly fascinating. Yeah, it's a, I, you know, thank you for your interest in the topic. And I think that, you know, this, this kind of marriage of looking at, you know, provider burnout and looking at you know, the MA role and the value that an MA brings to a team is such a, such a perfect um, topic that more people should be discussing. And I think, um, yeah, we're just, we're so pleased that you had us today and we really appreciate your time as well, Lauren. Well, no, I, I love what I, what I do personally. It's not work. It's a, it's really a pleasure, and I have a passion for what I do. All right, listen, Jason, thank you very much. Ellie, I appreciate it tremendously, and I want you to have a beautiful day. You're welcome, and thank likewise. Thank you, Lawrence. Yes, you too. Have a wonderful day, and thank you so much for having us today. Team members need to learn how to help one another help other team members realize their true potential as well, and create an environment that allows everyone to go beyond his or her limitations. A team becomes more than just a collection of people. When a strong sense of mutual commitment creates synergy, thus generating performance greater than the sum of the performance of its individual members. That's what a team is. That's what a team should be in a medical facility as well. I want to thank you very much for listening to our podcast. And please, once again, share them in your social media. So until the next time, thank you.